Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each Thursday, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. Enjoy the show! Hi, I'm Gabe. I'm Annie. I'm Kelly. <laughs> We're all sleepy after lunch. Yep. That's <sighs> what you do when you have lots of carbs for lunch. Yes, that's good. Uh, but we're not at Mike DeWine's campaign event right now. In a little burger diner? In a, in a little burger diner uh, in Troy, Ohio. Um, the burgers are really good there. Um, Mike, uh, the Ohio Attorney General, Mike DeWine, is at K's right now in Troy, um, which I personally recommend any time other than when Mike DeWine is there. Um, Do we want to support them if they're supporting Mike DeWine? This isn't like an organizational endorsement of the business. I'm just saying that if you happen to be in Troy, you know. And you like burgers. Get a milkshake. Um. Very pro milkshake. Yeah. Um. It's it's right down the street. I know why they're there. Uh, it's it's right down the street from uh, my hometown church uh, that I used to go to when I was a kid, um, which unfortunately is like the head of the uh, county's right to life chapter. So uh, up and down I seventy five is normally where all the Republican candidates. Uh, you know, George Bush used to come into town and fly into Cincinnati and then drive up to Lima, and he would stop in Troy on the way. And that was their their strip of campaign events. So DeWine is trying that um, in a desperate attempt uh, to get some attention. And he's dragging along Rick Santorum. Ew. Yeah. Santorum. <laughs> Don't recommend Santorum. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, if you clean properly beforehand, it's not supposed to be an issue. Yeah, well... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's (laughs) Mike DeWine has a really horrific record, a career history built on destroying reproductive rights here in Ohio. It's kind of his thing. Yes. Uh, and so he, um, he wants to be the, uh, the next governor. He wants to take over where Kasich is, is going to be forced to leave off, uh, when Kasich leaves office. Do you Um, think you'd be more or less conservative than Kasich regarding like abortion laws? Uh, I think I think DeWine would be worse than Kasich, which Kasich does try to present himself as a moderate, and I don't even know if DeWine would bother. That's that's I think a, a very accurate assessment. Uh, yeah, it's that, and, yeah. And, and, and yes, that's that's horrific. Um, DeWine has he he's one of these uh, elected officials who's gone out of his way to really attempt to you know, uh, to harm women, you know, he spearheaded an entire investigation against Planned Parenthood that literally discovered nothing. And Mm -hmm. when he started it, we came out and very publicly said, Hey, listen, you can investigate all you want, but you're not going to find anything. There's nothing to find, (laughs) you know, um, they, they follow all state and federal laws. They're terrific provider of healthcare to women, uh, they get regularly inspected by the State Department of Health, by the state, you know, uh, tax agencies, the federal, you know, the IRS looks at looks at their books. They're not doing anything wrong. But here he insisted on an entire campaign uh, against Planned Parenthood. That's the sort of thing where 
he did that because he chose to, not because there was some legitimate need where the taxpayers, you know, had to find out whatever something was he was expecting to find. Sure. Mm. He's not a good guy. No. And he wants to run for governor, and he thinks that bringing Rick Santorum along is going to... Does anybody like Rick Santorum? Uh, I mean, he didn't exactly win the nomination. Right. He didn't against... uh, I don't think he did very well at all, actually. Well, I I feel like he was the last guy hanging in against Romney. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. He's got such a long, unsettling face. Yes. Yeah. He probably appeals to some sort of, like, socially conservative fringe folks. Yeah. Maybe. Like Mike Huckabee. Right. Yeah. That's... I think between Huckabee and Santorum, I would pick Huckabee because he amuses me on Twitter sometimes. Mm. <laughs> There's a low standard. Yeah. I don't know. Hey. I feel like hey. I feel like in a post-Dan Savage podcast world, um, which I think he's still making episodes, but I yeah. think Santorum is now the more amusing one because... Oh, sure. That's fair. Look what they did. <laughs> Look what they did. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, Google it. <laughs> Just Google Santorum. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but so so here here's DeWine uh, attempting to appeal to that really ugly, super conservative uh, crowd that absolutely hates. Uh, the entire LGBT community. I mean, that's that's what that's what earned Rick Santorum his his nickname. Um, <laughs> yeah, was was in two thousand three an his interview that is actually his name. Uh, yeah, uh, an interview where he compared gay people to dogs. That's where you know, that's what inspired Dan Savage to do what he did. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it it was this direct. Uh, you know, and and open hatred of gay people, and and that's what Mike Dewine is trying to attach to his name now. Now he also hates underage immigrants who are seeking abortion. Yes. <laughs> so uh, there's this immigrant in Texas, right? Yes. Who is 17 and is attempting to get an abortion? Yep. And she's known as Jane Doe. Yes. Her name. Um, and the way immigrant healthcare works in this country is like, you have to, like the United States is responsible for acquiring healthcare for these refugees and this immigrant child or almost adult needs an abortion. And, um, so far they have sent this person to a crisis pregnancy center and are trying to deny her the abortion that she is seeking. Right. And uh, Mike DeWine's what is what is his uh, his role in this exactly? I mean, other than like, no, don't do it, or not allowing her to do it. That's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he he signed he on ha- to this amicus brief. Okay. Um, but it it's not like the judge said, well, let's find out what <laughs> the Ohio Attorney General says. I was like, does he have any authority here? Is he just like, look at me, look at me? No, it's 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 what he always does. Mm-hmm. He's just shoving his nose in to try and. To try and harm people. Uh, so he's he's literally just showing his butt. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that's who wants to be our next governor, Ohio. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the exact sort of you know shameful action uh, that he's been doing in you know in instances all along, uh, where if he can. Um, 
if metal. He can, yeah, if he can meddle and play a role um, in the the uh, not my boss's business, that was the hashtag, but the attempt to uh, block women who work for religious employers for getting access to birth control, uh, it was Mike DeWine who was, you know, he was involved similarly in that whole situation because one of the cases uh, where people were suing was uh, a case out of Ohio. Um, of uh, and I, I think employees were suing the Marzetti factory, um, because they didn't want they the insurance that they were helping, you know, not cover. my Italian dressing. <laughs> I think it's the same group. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, they didn't want, they didn't want their employees getting access to birth control coverage for Lord knows why. And DeWine was supportive of that. You know, the the attorney general, he should be standing up for taxpayers. He should be supporting, you know, the working people. But no. More babies. Infinite right. babies. Right. One million babies. Well, it's good for the business then because they'll have to feed all those babies more salads. <laughs> you can have salads without dressing. I guess but so. What, what kind of salad is that? <laughs> right. So I guess it's part of their business plan. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we've been critical of, uh, of DeWine's, uh, involvement in this case, uh, in Texas. Um, our boss, Kelly Copeland put out, uh, a statement, uh, earlier this week. Um, she said, Mike DeWine has bent over backwards to punish women in Ohio, and now he's interfering in the medical care of a young woman in Texas. His actions are immoral. There is no reason this refugee should have to pay the price for his anti-choice agenda, DeWine has sunk so low that he's fundraising off his efforts to block this young woman from accessing a privately funded abortion. I got that email, actually. Wow. Because it's not too long ago, he also did like a survey where he was just asking specific questions about, should we defund Planned Parenthood in Ohio? Right. So, you know, him and his loaded questions. So now I'm on Mike DeWine's email list because I was like, nah, bro, don't. Oh. Yeah, I, I would like, I would say unsubscribe, but we need to keep tabs on him. So. He went to my spam email, so <laughs> my Gmail knows me better than I do. It's a decent spot for it. Yeah. Uh, his lie, though, just to make it clear, was he sent out a his his campaign. So so he filed the amicus brief as the attorney general on the publicly funded side, mm. uh, and then his campaign sent out this email um, claiming that American taxpayers should not pay for illegal aliens to get abortions, They're which is not. Not in any way, shape, or form what was happening. I'm really glad that he, like, doesn't care about refugees until they decide they want an abortion. And then he just, like, hates everything about them. And I don't... There's so many layers of I'm a terrible person here. Right. Except for the fact that he probably likes he can make money off of them. Yeah. Yeah. So exploit their stories for his own, like, financial gain, sure. But to lie about it, too. Yeah. He wasn't even making a truthful claim about the situation. Uh, an organization called Jane's Due Process uh, had lined up private funding for an abortion procedure for this uh, for this young woman. So there was no tax dollars involved. It's just the government says, oh, you need to go to this privately funded doctor? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. And DeWine doesn't want that to happen. And neither does the Trump administration. They are fighting this. Uh, just yesterday, uh, Jane Doe won a court decision in Texas. Um, a judge said, no, this young woman has the right to go to the doctor. Her Judicial imminent- bypass. Yeah. Um, and, and was allowing this. And the Trump administration immediately said that they were appealing. What? 
right away. And, uh, and, and that's be- such a weird uh, thing for like the federal government to get involved in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's horrific. Uh, Judicial bypasses happen like all the time. Like it's not like this is an uncommon thing for, to happen for minors who are seeking abortion care. Like they get judicial bypasses. Like that's a thing. The federal government just doesn't like swoop in and be like, no, 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 no. You're gonna have this baby whether you like it or not. Like that's. <laughs> and then they would just ship her back to wherever she came from. Yeah. Of course. No anger babies. <laughs> you have to have the baby, but we're not going to help you uh, raise okay. the baby. Yeah, you can't keep it here. <laughs> you have to have that kid, but you can't have her here. <sighs> yeah. America. F no. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so today's event with Rick Santorum, we put out a second press release. That's two DeWine press releases from our office this week. Mm. Um, so uh, Kelly Copeland again speaking. Uh, Mike DeWine has used his position uh, to oppose access to birth control coverage for women who receive their health insurance from religiously affiliated employers. He launched a high-profile investigation of Planned Parenthood that ultimately discovered they were following all state and federal laws. <laughs> there may be no other politician in Ohio more determined to abuse the resources of Ohio taxpayers for the sole purpose of blocking women's access to reproductive health care, including safe and legal abortion care, than Mike DeWine. Ohio right to left doesn't even like him. <laughs> no, they don't. Why is that? I mean, they they, I mean, they have, but today they sent out an email that was pushing uh, one of Houston? the other candidates. Yeah. Houston, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I good. I th- I think they're just like almost every other action they take. They're looking at polling numbers, mm-hmm. and they probably see that Dewine's not going to be their horse uh, to ride, and so they're getting on another one. <laughs> 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 yeah that's that's it you know uh, he's getting dumped by a high right to life so he's appealing to uh santorum fans ooh. yeah ooh. <laughs> okay uh, um so in other fun news mm. oh, um, more. yeah great right? <laughs> Uh, there was a, a, a grassroots movement over this past weekend mm-hmm. uh, that came up using the Me Too hashtag. Um, this was obviously in response to uh, all of the um, new accusations of, of Weinstein, but um, uh, as nearly everybody knows by now, the women who have been using this hashtag uh, and, and some men haven't been pointing out abuses by Weinstein. It's just all of the millions of cases of abuses that happen throughout uh, this country and in every community. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's good that people feel free to speak out like this. Um, but, you know... I we need to figure out a way of turning this new um, raised understanding of the significance uh, of of how big of a problem this is with something productive moving forward. Well, yeah, I think, um, I think some of the the criticisms of the campaign are like, uh, you know, a, um, you know, I have a friend who, who's got really severe PTSD and I also have PTSD. Um, 
And uh, one thing that's really helpful online that people don't realize for people with PTSD are content and trigger warnings to be put with nesting in their online content. And one thing that they were saying they were struggling with is that all of a sudden people can put up a Me Too status and they have no content warning. And then they go into telling their, you know, like... uh, detailed or less detailed, you know, story of assault or harassment or possibly rape. And, um, you know, like a lot of people reading that maybe might be affected by that a little bit differently than if you were normally having that content. And, you know, without the sort of quickness of the Me Too campaign, you know, people sort of forget to add that as a consideration for folks who have suffered trauma around sexual violence. And then, um, Another thing that people have been mentioning is that uh, the Me Too campaign is actually not new. It's like 10 years old, and it was started by a black woman named Tarana Burke, Mm -hmm. or Tarana, uh, who had experienced sexual violence, as had her daughter, and wanted to create healing space. And I think, you know, that's great also. Like, I did did a Me Too status. I'm a survivor of sexual assault and um, attempted rape, and it was something I thought about doing so that other people could also have healing space to, to be, to feel heard and recognized. And like, maybe I would believe them if they, you know, were confronting their story or their sort of experience with sexual violence. But then also, um, you, you know, the, the flip side is that maybe some people would feel pressured to share their story when they're not ready to, or they're re-traumatized by thinking about potentially sharing their story. And so I know, it got a lot of mixed reactions and there was the piece that you were just mentioning, which is like, where's the follow-up is the onus only on survivors to tell their story or are we going to really push this forward and actually do some kind of like accountability and how we frame discussing sexual violence. Like women are raped versus like, you know, like who's doing the raping, who is the perpetrator of sexual violence, um, in our culture. And like, how do we, how are we all implicit in that, um, you know, in, in a, a rape culture that uh, is so forgiving of people like like Weinstein, although he has been fired from his own firm, so that's cool. But you know, in a lot of cases, we see assaulters and um, perpetrators just kind of like getting to keep their own careers, getting to keep their you know their wealthy friends and their influence, and victims are quieted down and silenced and blamed. So. It's, you know, like, and I don't mean to sort of, you know, bash and like say, oh, well, this shouldn't be happening because it's good, you know, like to have a platform. But then now what, you know? Right. Is the sort of piece that's missing because we don't see a lot of people in response being like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do moving forward to address this and not just hear you and then, you know, like move on with my life. Right. Like you shared your pain with me, you know, like now how do we, progress this into something that makes the reality not this. Right. And I don't have that answer, you know, but those are some of the criticisms and some of the things we wanted to mention, I guess, because they're all important considerations in how one deals with violence, with trauma and with healing people in a, in a culture where we don't necessarily have the language to do so. Right. Um, you know, as, as a, a guy, a, I feel that um, I'm sort of looking at this movement different from <laughs> almost every other guy out there just because uh, I'm looking at it from the inside of, uh, you know, almost 10 years of working with, uh, you know, in a majority female field of reproductive health care and advocacy. 
Um, and so I think a lot of people were really, uh, it, if they're not working in reproductive health care or, or something, you know, related, you know, I, I don't think the volume of stories that came out were surprising to, say, social workers who deal with victims. Um, you know, if you're doing, uh, you know, some sort of survivor care, then the scale of this wasn't surprising. And, and while I think most guys paying attention would have been shocked, I've been hearing women sharing their stories, you know, when I was working with Planned Parenthood. And, it, you know, it wasn't in any sort of a clinical setting. It's just as, as people were talking about different bills and the need for abortion, I've heard time and time again women just, you know, in, in various settings, either very openly um, sometimes testifying about it. We heard Teresa Fetter, Representative Fetter, reveal her rape uh, in uh, uh, on the floor of the Ohio House during uh, a floor session speech one time. So you know that's that's as open as you get. A, a Time Magazine op-ed followed that. Um, there have been other women who you know I've heard reveal their situations to to very tight, close circles of friends where that you know, was her story and it didn't leave that circle. So I didn't, I wasn't really surprised to learn the scale of this, but, you know, it, I think was a positive thing to see all of these stories get shared. But then just as a guy looking at these, I think if guys are paying attention, it, it does make them look back at their own past, you know, and, and I don't think any guy is perfect. So, myself was thinking, oh, geez, when I was, you know, in the 10th grade, I, you know, said something to, you know, some girl and it came across as really slimy and, you know, just, I mean, no guy is, what did you say? I don't even (laughs) but, but you just think about, geez, you know, even things that aren't really that serious, you look back at your own, your own behavior and and I think there's going to be many men out there looking back and realizing much more serious things about what they've done. And here's hoping. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I hold the bar that high. Yeah. I mean, forced introspection. Hmm. And then what? You know. And then you like move on because it doesn't matter. Because. Oh man. We don't I hold was, you accountable. I was so. a real jerk in tenth grade, but at twenty six, I was great. No, I... I'm not... I was not specifically calling you out. Yeah. But um, I imagine there are some people who are like, I'm great today. I am way different than when I was when I was 16. Thank God I had those learning experiences. And they are not any different. <laughs> I, I think there are some guys that are going to look back at their past and then, and then change their behavior based on these realizations. God will. Yes. I, I think there is, you know there is that chance for improved change behavior because that has to be, uh, that has to be at, at a minimum a significant byproduct of this. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the main goal is just to let women have this outlet. Um, you know, but if that's the main goal, then a secondary goal has to be giving guys some push to change behavior or as they're raising sons to talk to their kids differently uh, than maybe their dads would have or, or, you know, not had a conversation at all in the past. Um, 
you know, around our family dinner table this week, there was that conversation where me and my wife talked to our children um, about, you know, just basic, you know, this is an elementary school aged conversation. Um, We're not getting into Weinstein and his whole thing, but it's, you know, it's, it's that age appropriate sex education that kids need to get of, if somebody doesn't want hug, then you don't give them a hug. If somebody, you know, says something to you that makes you feel bad about yourself, then you need to tell, you know, a trusted adult. Um, we are all the time uh, um, in locker rooms because my kids do sports. And so we had a, you know, we had a talk with our kid about, you know, if there's something that's going on, you know, and, and we were fairly explicit of if this happens in a locker room, you need to let us know right away. And so I think if those sort of conversations happen more often because of this campaign. Um, And if they happen because guys are like, oh, geez, this all makes me feel bad. And I even remember how maybe I was just, you know, kind of a, you know, a creep in the past. Then I think there is positive potential for it. I don't know. That's my two cents. It's more like a nickel. Yeah, well. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. I, I think it, you know, it makes people uncomfortable, and it, it's designed to. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then, you know, like, I think also a lot of people had some really terrible experiences where maybe they still know their assaulter and are friends with them on Facebook, and their assaulter liked their Me Too status. And in my case, my previous abusive partner made a Me Too status. I've since blocked him, but I had my friend do some investigating because I had heard from a mutual friend that he had posted a Me Too status. And, you know, like, meanwhile, he has sexually violated many underage women, and I've heard testimony of abuse from people besides just myself. And, you know, to see him use that as a platform to... I don't know. I don't know what his Me Too is, I think. You know, like, he he took a movement that he felt icky about and made it about him to justify something to himself. And that kind of ruined the, um, like the positive effect for me of the whole campaign, the story. So I think, um, there should be more conversations, you know, now that we've sort of enabled more of a vocabulary around sort of like, uh, dispensing with silence around our stories, but I would really also like to be able to to think, you know, in the future that there's some system of social accountability because I have all these mutual friends with this person still and nobody calls him out on anything and he's a notorious sleazy person. And unless you are calling out the people you know in your circles who are problematic or who people have told you their personal stories about that have, you know, like involved some sort of like sexual violence or coercion or discomfort. Um, you, you know, like we, like the music scene in like Cleveland and like Toledo, um, full of like rapey dudes and nobody holds them accountable. So it's like, okay, well, you know, Yes, um, like on the one hand, for sure, positives can include like um, enabling conversations for like raising boys and making them conscious and aware and like having age appropriate consent talks is like awesome. But then also now, like, what are we doing about these adult predators who are like, you know, who's holding them accountable? Right. I think the situations that you're describing, 
you know, that they're happening far, that sort of setup is happening far more often than people realize. Um, because I've, I've seen women on Twitter, you know, saying, Hey, you know, the guy that assaulted me just liked my me too. You know, that's, yeah, it's, it's not that that scene is unique to Cleveland or Toledo or no, anywhere. No, certainly I'm just speaking yeah. from experience of yeah. being in those communities, but. I think, yeah, I think the whole thing does open up the door for more conversations, which is helpful. Yeah, and, um, you know, on the one hand, like a handful of people I know who are also negatively affected by the same person started talking to one another and consoling one another a little bit, you know, sort of offline. And the subsequent, you know, moments of sort of our collective realization of what was happening and uh, there was support there and there was, you know, connection and it's something. Okay. Fun times. Yes, well, keeping I'm it, keeping it light and happy on an A-Rail podcast today. Right. Well. Just go back talking about Santorum. You guys like cats? Let's talk about some cats. Right. Meow. Um, so, uh, changing topics, uh, there's an escort training coming up. Kelly, you're going to be leading that. You want to talk about, <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, what, I am. what's an escort training, uh, escort training. So, uh, on days on the clinic days, um, there are often anti-choice protesters. This is true for both abortion clinics in town, be it Planned Parenthood or Founders Women's Health Center. Um, there are protesters outside of most abortion clinics in Ohio at this point. Um, so patients need to get to the door, uh, and we try to have that happen without incur, like without having, basically we want to have a pro-choice friendly face to get them to the door, uh, to, so they have like somebody to help them when they, and they don't have to deal with protesters. Um, so tonight or soon, um, at least once a month, we're going to be doing escort training to train people how to do that job. It's a volunteer position. You don't get paid to do it. So you spend your Saturdays sometimes getting up at like 7.30 in the morning to go hang out and get screamed at by protesters just to make sure the patients can access their health care. Which is it's a very valuable volunteer task that gets done. Well, in a lot of places, especially around Ohio, you know, like the sheer number of protesters versus the size of the clinic, like in Toledo, for example, they're absolutely a necessity because there's no buffer in between the small parking lot, the sidewalk, the street, and the clinic Mm -hmm. in Toledo. You know, this past Saturday, um, a lot of volunteers that I work with in the Toledo area who run their own escort program now um, uh, had to coordinate another counter protest to um, the 40 Days for Life mass where they had like a swarm of bishops and priests and hundreds of people do a mass outside the clinic. And there's, you know, literally no buffer. And fortunately, I don't think they did it while there were still patients. I think they had all left for the day. But, um, you know, they even during the day with people there, they'll go and they'll bang on the windows. And so I think they just go to make sure that nothing happens to the clinic. Meanwhile, and um, those escorts are probably trained in a very similar way to what you'll be doing, which is, you know, how to sort of not engage really Mm -hmm. intense hostility. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Toledo's got a much worse situation for now than Columbus does. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, escorts are basically there to, like, protect the clinic, protect the patients, and be a friendly face for people who are seeking care. Right. 
being an escort, um, it sort of opens the doors for a lot of people to um, other forms of uh, reproductive rights activism. Mm-hmm. Um, or like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've had a lot of uh, interns who have been volunteer escorts, uh, patient escorts in the past. Um, or maybe, you know, they've done an internship, uh, and even after the internship is over, want to continue some form of, you know, uh, service. And this is a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a terrific way to, uh, allow, uh, either elected officials or not grassroots, but the grass tops, uh, individuals to sort of experience that environment. I know the chief of staff, of the Senate Democratic Caucus came out and he was a, a patient escort uh, one day just to, to learn about it. Um, you know, I think if you asked him, he was there to, to help. Um, but it was really uh, beneficial uh, for us as an organization that lobbies to, you know, to have him have that experience so that as we're talking to legislators about what goes on at clinics and what that situation is like, he can provide them with that firsthand knowledge that he gained, not through us, but through his own eyes and ears. Yeah. It's Um, nice to be believed when we're talking about clinic harassment (laughs) to have somebody be like, no, no, for real, it's happening. Yeah. And, and being a patient escort is a terrific way uh, to do that. Um, So uh, this escort training, uh, it's actually, um, later today that you're leading, but this is for people who have already sort of entered yeah, they, the, the training system. This mm-hmm. is not an open to the public training. Uh, nope. And we will probably never have one that is open to the public. Sure. Um, but if people want to learn about the process of how to they can email get me. into this. Yes, they can email me, Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y-F at ProChoiceOhio.org. Um you're not like just because you email me doesn't mean that you're going to get to be a patient escort. Like we vet our volunteers, we background check our volunteers. Like we're going to, we're going to snoop because we don't want people who aren't on our side being volunteer escorts. Right. And I'm not sorry about that. (laughs) No, I think it totally makes sense. Yeah. I mean, with anti-choice groups going in for their red rose rescues and like posing as patients and people who are pro-choice to try and get into abortion clinic spaces. It's a very real threat and concern Mm -hmm. for safety. And, you know, it wasn't too long ago that they, there was a shooter at the Planned Parenthood in Colorado and, you know, we're on the, on the sort of more paranoid side because of that, I think. The red rose rescue thing that you mentioned. That's hard to say. Yes. Uh, That was a, a nasty little campaign um, by uh, anti-choice extremists to actually enter clinics mm-hmm. and then attempt to change women's minds. Like, and refuse to leave. Yeah, but in the waiting room. Yep. So, you know. Which is if, terrifying. Yeah, if, if people are out on the street with their signs, we know that, you know, out on the street you have First Amendment rights and you want to hold your sign and you want to pray and whatever we can't stop you but when you enter the door of a facility and you sit in the waiting room and attempt to change women's minds you've literally you've broken the law you've crossed a couple lines (laughs) metaphorically and literally yes uh and so they then were properly arrested uh and charged with trespassing for what they were doing there Mm -hmm. um and so that's the sort of situation where you know clinic safety 
uh, and patient safety is first and foremost. And that's the sort of setup that, you know, obviously looking to prevent. Yes, right. And the training is sort of uh, geared towards taking that into consideration when you're thinking about, you know, being a figurehead in front of a clinic to provide a, a comfort and safety, you know, how to sort of be alert and more mindful of that as you're sometimes, volunteering. Sometimes it's really fun. The anti-choicers will get like pro-woman escort or they'll, they'll basically try to imitate pro-choice clinic escorts. They wear their own vests. Yep. And, yeah. uh, yep. Go home. <laughs> Go be with your family. Right. Go adopt a baby or something useful. Uh, okay, so should we talk about Let's Get It On and what's upcoming uh, with uh, new events? Um, yeah. on, uh, on October 24th, uh, you get the Feminits. Mm-hmm. Yes, in Cleveland. What's that going to be? That is our uh, monthly hangout meetup. Uh, we switch east side, west side, east side, west side, east side, west side, east side, west side, because you know Cleveland. Um, I'm a bit of a diehard east sider, but I will go to the west side to have a feminine so our west siders can come too. Um, but anyway, this month is east side. Uh, so we have the event on Facebook on our NARAL page. So uh, get uh, to us that way. It'll be from 7 to 9 next Tuesday. Um, we're going to a good bar. Called the Bottle House? Yes. Uh, and we will have, they have like big picnic tables so that people can sit in groups sort of naturally and like play games or do whatever. And, you know, in our case, we'll be making calls to Randy Ustra and ProMedica's uh, corporate office to see if he can, he'll sign the transfer agreement with Capital Care Network, which I've been talking about a lot past, <laughs> um, you know, like whole job, whole time I've been <laughs> at this job. Uh so almost three years. And, Randy, get uh, together. Yeah. So, um, and then I have another volunteer who's been like tweeting him like mad this week, which I think is just great. And so you can tweet Randy Ustra and you can tweet ProMedica and ask them to do the same thing. Um, but we'll be getting together with like crafts and projects and just having people call in directly and then, you know, hang out and get to meet one another and form community and maybe talk about some plans for a uh, you know, like winter or fall actions or if we want to use our knitting powers for some other good other than to uh, hang out over uh, shorter actions and, uh, yeah, enjoy one another. So anyone can come. You don't have to know how to do any projects. You don't have to work on a project technically, but you're more than welcome to. And this one's, you said, west side? No, east side. East side. Okay. Bottle House. Bottle House. Uh, 2050 Lee Road, Cleveland Heights, Ohio, 44118. Correct. So <laughs> you can find information on all of our events uh, on our Facebook page. Yes. Uh, that's October 24th. Uh, and then October 28th is the Mahoning Valley Action Camp, uh, which is not our event, but you're going to be at it. Correct. Uh, so Mark Gavin from For Our Future is putting on this uh sort of comprehensive training. It's from 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, Saturday the 28th at the Magic Tree Pub and Eatery in Boardman, which is just outside of Youngstown. Uh, so we're going to be having um, tr- uh, sort of like a comprehensive uh, full spectrum of activist actions trainings going on and then it'll be like a round robin so people can get a short training and then move on and get another short training. So it's a little bit like our row events. Um, 
And uh, so some of the training topics that are going to be covered are voter outreach, letters to the editor, grassroots lobbying, phone banking, and more, uh, depending on who all we can get to help out with trainings. I will be there doing the letters to the editor training. Um, so we will also, we're partnering with AFL-CIO and the Ohio Organizing Collaborative and YWCA Warren. So those are all good folks doing good work around Ohio, and I was happy to help out. So if you would like, if you're in the Mahoning Valley area and you want to know a little bit more about what you can do to get involved, that's like not overwhelming. You know, like a letter to the editor is a two to four sentence thing that you can send into a newspaper and um, have a relatively good chance of getting published if it's, you know, concise and, you know, what you're talking about. And so we'll talk, uh, talk to people a little bit about how to do that. Um, about abortion rights or other social issues and um, a little bit more about how to recruit people, how to build relationships and build people power. So two to five, Saturday the 28th, Youngstown, or well, Boardman technically at Magic Tree Pub and Eatery. 7463 South Avenue, Boardman, Ohio, 44512. Uh, and then the last event we have coming up, Halloween, uh, October 31st, uh, you're doing a happy hour at the St. James? Yeah, we are. It'll be fun. It's going to be like six to eight. You can wear a costume. I might dress up as an IUD or something else similar. Will there know. be candy there? There will be candy. Mm. An IUD, I feel like that's just a skeleton costume with the legs blacked out. I mean, I, <laughs> I have a skeleton onesie. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll dress up my... No, I can't bring the baby to the, to the bar. To the bar. No, they won't let me. Not on Halloween. No, that'd be a bad idea. <laughs> but yeah, we'll be writing letters to House Representatives uh, regarding SB 145, which was the 12-week abortion ban. Yes. So that's going to... Abortion gonna, method ban. Yes. That'll be coming back up, and we don't want that to pass. So no. come out and write to your House rep. Okay. Yay. Yes. Have a drink, which we could use after this cherry discussion. So. Yeah. Well, shit week. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully next week will be better. Oh, we can only pour so much sugar on top. Right. It's still going to smell the same. <laughs> okay. I want to go to bed. I'll see everybody <laughs> next time. Bye. <laughs>